I'm here to inform you that we're in the home stretch of this pandemic, even if you wouldn't know it from anything Canadian officials are telling you. Vaccines work, and hundreds of thousands of Canadians are getting theirs every day. We can look to the United Kingdom right now to see what happens when enough people get their shots and what life looks like as pandemic restrictions loosen. We know a lot more than we ever have about what's safe and what's not, about how to protect ourselves and still find activities worth doing. So, why don't communications from public health officials reflect that? Why do they all sound like this pandemic will go on forever? Wash your hands well and often cover your coughs and sneezes. That message delivered almost a year ago, still relentless today. Masks, physical distancing, all those personal measures Canadians have been following, Tam says are here to stay for many months to come. Torontonians will not be sipping wine or enjoying a beer in parks this summer. The motion brought forward to the city has been denied. I have a message for young people who have had enough of the pandemic. I understand that you're, uh, what you're going through, but more and more young people are getting sick. So please follow the rules to protect you. Why can't politicians and doctors give us hope, or at least give us a few carrots mixed in with all the sticks? Do they not trust us with optimism? Do they worry that we'll start breaking the rules early? Or is treating Canadians like obedient robots doing more harm than good as we try to finish this pandemic off? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Matt Gurney is a columnist with TV Ontario and with The National Post. He writes a newsletter called Code 47, which you can find on Substack. Hey, Matt. Hey, good to be here. Thank you so much. If I had to ask you to describe Canada's public health communication during this pandemic in one word, what would you come up with? Bad. And if you allowed me more words, and if this was not a family-friendly podcast, I could add at least one qualifier before bad, but for our purposes now, bad will do. What are the hallmarks of, and again, just for everybody listening who, who didn't kind of get it from the intro, we're not talking about specific policy today. We're talking about how that policy has been communicated uh, to the public. What makes for bad uh, public communication? I think maybe it's easier to answer the question in the reverse. What what makes for good public communication, which is uh, clarity, uh, accessible language, free of jargon, uh, strong communicators, and whoever your chosen person is doesn't have to be the policymaker, doesn't have to be the expert, but there needs to be someone who's actually communicating the policy in a way that they are comfortable with it. I mean, even if they're not themselves an expert, there are, there are many good communication professionals in this country who are, who are not originally either by by workplace experience or education actually experts in in the topic, but they they learn, they they get mastered. So, I would say it's clarity, it's simple language, it is consistency. There are complications that come into it because we live in a big, diverse country, right? So then you kind of have to figure out, okay, having communicated effectively in English and French, then we got to go out and start getting these uh, messages out to to people who are new Canadians and speak other languages. Mm-hmm. But even in the, in the core official languages, we we have not been clear. We have not been consistent. 
We have not uh, had effective communicators actually doing the job of the communication. And all of these things compound the fact that uh, we are having an evolving situation. I mean, this thing has been, I would say at first it was fast moving. Now it seems to be moving extremely slowly. Uh, But we have, there are very clear bars for good communication, very well understood, nothing particularly controversial. And we have really not been able to consistently achieve any of the best practice standards. What about the tone of communications? And here I'm thinking specifically over the last, you know, four or five months. I don't think anybody would fault the tone of the public messaging in the early months of the pandemic or, you know, the straightforward orders because everybody was scared, including the people making policy. But as we've come uh, towards vaccinations and hopefully come out of this third wave, how much does tone factor into it? Because when I put it to myself— um, about what one word I would use recently, dour was like the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really good way of putting on this. And this has been something I've been uh, picking at a little bit around the uh, the edges. I probably should write a proper full column about this, but I think the one thing that we need to remember, and I'm not I'm not appealing for sympathy for anyone who's made bad decisions here. I'm just stating an objective fact. All of our policymakers and all of our policy communicators are exhausted and they are burnt out, like much like yeah. all the rest of us, right? Like, but I, I, I'm cranky. I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. I'm also not the one who has nominal responsibility for thousands of deaths. I'm not defending anyone's uh, bad actions. I'm not defending anyone's mistakes. I'm not defending any policy decision. I'm just trying to state the obvious here. Everyone in a position in authority in this country right now is exhausted. This has been going on for a long time. You've mentioned dour. I think you're absolutely right about that. The messaging has been, we don't need delusional. We don't need false hope. We don't need a cheerleader. But we have now real world examples in the United Kingdom and in Israel and increasingly in the United States as well, that there is light at the end of the tunnel here. And if you look at the public statements coming out of our public health officials in this country, and then you look at the fact that, you know, bars are opening again in the U.S. and the pubs are crawling in in the U.K. and the Israelis are currently having another difficulty unrelated to this. But if not for the rockets raining down in their cities, they could be out at bars too. The pandemic is over in Israel. That's us in three or four months. And all we need to do is stick the landing here on getting the messaging right, which is that, okay, we're not there yet. We're still in a, in a cautious phase. There's still things we need to be careful for, but good news is coming. And I don't know, you put a microphone in front of any of these people who are nominally the public facing communicators for many of our public health agencies. And basically they can't wait to tell you about, you know, that there might be an asteroid that slams into the planet or that we still have poverty issues to deal with here. I don't know if they're exhausted and kind of projecting a little bit their own internalized frustrations. I don't know if they just desperately need media training, but the, the messaging coming out of our public health officials does not reflect the objective facts that we actually have good news coming our way and jurisdictions that are even a little bit ahead of us right now prove that to be true. Why do you think it is that the messaging doesn't seem to have that hopeful professional tone uh, that you'd want it to? I mean, exhaustion is one thing, but, you know, these are 
governments, they have communication staff, and I know this because lots of journalists get laid off and go to work there. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. Um, no, look, I, I was actually thinking about this exact issue, and the um, the way my columns get written, it always starts with an idle thought, and then I either write it down immediately or I mull over it for a while. And this is one I've put in the mull over category. But I'm wondering if one of the problems we're dealing with here is that our our government communications in general, and I don't mean narrowly elected officials, I don't mean public health officials. I mean, you and I have actually talked about this before. Canadian policy on communication is to say as little as possible, to mm-hmm. to dodge, bob, weave, evade as much as possible. The, the inbuilt bias to Canadian government communications is minimal transparency, minimal disclosure. And we have an entire communication class in government that excels in communicating as little as possible. Like we, we have as, as a country, as a society, as governments, we have not prioritized clear, effective, timely communication, which is why any half decent communicator is put on a pedestal in our politics. Like I think, for instance, I think Justin Trudeau is a reasonably good communicator. Hmm. I don't think he is by any objective standard, a great communicator. I don't think he's one of the great orators of history, but the guy can string a couple of sentences together and he can smile while he does it. And we read like years of think pieces about his charisma. All he does is answer some questions in a reasonably cheerful way. He's gotten a little more dour over the years. Canadians don't communicate well. Our our governments don't prioritize this. And I wonder if what we've been seeing out of our uh, public uh, communications, public health communications in particular, reflects this inbuilt bias in Canadian governance that the best communication is the communication that commits to as little as possible shares as little as possible and is as uh, as little revealing, as least revealing as humanly possible of any information that the public actually wants to get their hands on. When you have a general approach that is based in uh, that kind of place of of not being as clear and direct as possible, like how does that general approach sort of seep into the level of, of individual pieces of communication? Oh, well, I mean, I, without even getting into specific examples, I think every journalist in this country has had the experience of asking a, a question that ought to have a pretty clear answer. It, it, the answer might be yes, that that is true. The answer could be no, that is true. The answer could be, well, it's complicated and we're going to find an expert to explain that to you. But what you end up getting is something like, Hi, Matt. Thanks for your question. Our government remains committed to developing job opportunities for the middle class. Like what you get is basically lifted right out of a campaign document. Mm -hmm. And there's a prioritization. I I was speaking about this recently with a a colleague. What's been prioritized of late is that, you know, we've had those old conversations, right? I mean, the, the medium is the message. It's become a cliche. But right now we also have a political class that has adapted communication to the medium. So if you're a politician, right, and if you've got some, uh, some uh, bad news, like, you know, you, you're, you're in a lousy situation. You've, there's a report that's come out. It's damning. There's a political scandal in your office. You, you sit down in one of these interviews and, you know, from the, the politician's perspective or the public servant's perspective, the optimal outcome is saying nothing and providing no quotes and providing almost nothing that is in any way useful. And in your mind, you know, all right, it's it's a it's a talk radio interview, right? You've got about eight minutes. It's a TV interview. It's probably even shorter than that. It's probably four, five, maybe six minutes. 
So what you end up getting, and sometimes you get it with a smile and sometimes you don't, is you get a, a minister up there who goes, well, yeah, hey, thanks for that question about this horrible misconduct scandal bursting out of my office right now. And I would like to spend the next four and a half minutes of our five minutes on air together talking about how committed we are to appropriating new funds in the upcoming budget. And they just go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. and, and guys like you and I, who actually interview people for a living, like we kind of, like we know the game and, and we interview and we, we, we interrupt and we redirect and they go, oh, okay, well, thank you for that question. And then they just go right back onto their message. I mean, you'd mentioned before that there are tons of unemployed journalists kicking around who go into the communications world. That's absolutely absolutely true. How many of them actually end up spending their time, though, improving communication, actually making governments any better at sharing information? It seems to me that a lot of them actually make very good, comfortable uh, wages and work nine to five hours teaching people how to say as little as possible in uh, the time allotted to an interview. You make a really good point about the systemic problems, but I want to take a, a little bit closer look at some of the specific public health messages that we've been getting or or not been getting. And the first question I have is, how would good communications balance being truthful with being useful? And I'll give you a couple of examples that we've both heard recently. I mean, it is true that people can get COVID outdoors. That's true. It is true that a vaccine is not 100% effective and some people get COVID after being vaccinated. Those statements aren't lying, but they seem to me to be coming at the message from the wrong side. I mean, well, I mean, being outdoors is a great example um, where the best possible public health advice right now, if we were robots, would be stay in your home, interact with no one, subsist on like protein paste and, you know, in three weeks come out and <laughs> any virus in your body will be dead. And if we all do that at the same time, we'll beat this thing. The problem, of course, is that our public health strategy involves human beings and human beings are weird, stubborn meat sacks. And we, we have emotions and we have feelings and we, we miss each other and we want to interact with people. If you understand human nature, what you tell people is that, okay, interact outside. Like the messaging exists, right? It's like mm -hmm. go outside, meet in public, uh, stay in your family units. If you're mingling with others, maintain reasonable separation. And if separation isn't possible for whatever reason, put on a mask. Like this is not anything that you and I could not communicate to the public in 30 seconds of brainstorming. We would sit down, we'd look at the information ahead of us and get it out there. But what you end up getting are people who either are are so risk averse and don't want to be blamed for the one guy who in who catches covid at a tennis court or something and ends up uh, having a negative outcome or they're just not trained in disclosure um they're just not actually trained in a way with their communications training i mean that prioritizes clear communications so they still have this instinct Whenever there's risk, and look, we're living in the middle of a pandemic, God, God willing, we're living in the tail end of it, right. but we're there's still There's always risk. Yeah. And instead of being honest with people and saying, yeah, well, if you go out, there's a small risk that you might get COVID in an outdoor environment, and there's a small risk if you get COVID, you'll die of it, even if you're vaccinated. Instead of having these things contextualized, and again, the Israeli and the British information shows us what our future is, and the future is great. 
But instead of talking about it from that perspective, you said it perfectly before. We get the dour verdict of, hey, so what's our summer going to look like? And we have, for instance, Teresa Tam. I don't mean to, to pick on her, but you know, she, she's an obvious representative example. Hey, what's our summer going to look like? there will still be people getting infected even with vaccines. Oh, okay. Like you can tell people what they need to know, or you can say, look, we're going to be living with this thing for a while. No vaccine is perfect. No public health plan is perfect. But once the following conditions are met, here's what we can do. This is what reopening will look like. You know, a worst case scenario might be we need to maintain mask wearing for the next six months. It is so easy to set out even in general terms uh, what, what these guidelines look like. But what we have seen again and again and again in this pandemic is Canadians who are not good at communicating being tasked with communicating. Theresa Tam, again, not meaning to pick on her, but I mean, at the start of the pandemic, she was the face of, well, the risks to Canadians are low. Oops, no, it wasn't. We've been crushed by a wave of this pandemic. She was the wave mm -hmm. of, well, you know, she was uh, the face of, well, you know, there's no real evidence for mask wearing. Oops, no, okay, wrong, put on your masks. Like, I, I don't know at what point, I, and I'm not questioning her medical expertise, but at what point do we grab somebody in the federal government? And man, you and I know people who could do this, who would be natural communicators, who are smart enough to assimilate the information, get up to speed, and would be able to deliver useful public health information in a timely way. The problem, though, is, and you know this, you and I have the luxury of talking way more openly than even the world's best communicator if they're being subjected to government communications discipline. I want to pick on what you just said um, about Teresa Tam, and we played some clips of her in the opening of this show. And, you know, when you mention um, the risk to Canadians is low and well, we don't need to wear masks, or at least there's no evidence showing that yet. I wonder if it's sort of a once or twice burned third time shy, and that's why you get this, well, we're not going to have a summer. We need to maintain all these measures because, God forbid, the government give us hope and we go out and a bunch of people get sick. Look, Teresa Tam was wrong again. There might be something to that. The other thing we need to consider and God knows I'm not trying to make the conversation more complicated because it's complicated enough. The other thing, though, that we need to keep an eye on, particularly when we're talking about the federal level, is that there is constant low to mid-level election speculation right now. So um, the prime minister recently came out and was talking about a one-dose summer, right? He was coming right. in and he was saying, yeah, we can all have our first doses by the summer and our second doses by the fall. To be honest, I've been looking at the, the, the delivery rate of these vaccines. I've been looking at our available inventory. Unless the, the government has some really bad news about future deliveries they haven't shared with us yet, we're going to beat the objective targets that the prime minister was laying out today. And in my mind, I go, oh, okay, he's a politician who's going to be running for re-election soon and he wants to manage expectations. So we have to build some bias of that into our thinking that there is going to be an election soon and the prime minister would rather, you know, under-promise and over-deliver than the opposite. But in, in the particular context of the public health communicators, I think there probably is a degree of, of risk aversion here. I think you're absolutely right. I think they have been criticized before. These are human beings we're talking about. I'm sure the criticism stings. Just because you're a professional doesn't mean that you don't uh, take criticism personally. If only that were so, we would all be live healthier, happier lives. But I, I would have to say, though, that it, it, there are some public communicators in this country. And uh, an example would be perhaps Dr. Uh, Dina Hinshaw in Alberta, 
who actually was a rock star at the the early phase of the pandemic. She was getting national acclaim. She was, you know, people all over the country are going, oh, wow, I wish we had someone like Dina leading our public health effort. Bonnie Henry, NBC too. Yeah. And then, I mean, in, in Alberta in particular, like the bottom falls out a bit and then all of a sudden they're, they're not quite the celebrities they were. And maybe that's inevitable, right? If you, if you set the, if you set the expectations too high, but I'm, I'm looking at in particular Ontario where, where I live and where I've been writing this thing out and where I've been looking at the public health communication I cannot claim to have seen any particular deterioration in the communication skills of, of uh, Dr. David Williams. Fair. They're terrible, and they've been consistently terrible. I mean, I guess we can say there's something for consistency. He's been bad at this from the beginning, and he's bad at it still. The last thing I want to talk about is how this messaging could, uh, probably won't, but could change uh, going forward. And I was talking with uh, a colleague of mine, Shannon Proudfoot, uh, Ottawa bureau chief at McLean's. I saw you guys kind of interacting on this same point. And it's that there doesn't seem to be anything for the public to work towards or look forward to. You know, it seems like it is all stick and no carrot. And there's no like, well, guys, you know, if we can get to 75% vaccinated, you know, we're going to have a party in August. It's going to be great. Like they, they haven't given us any control of this. I think you're right on two levels and it is important to, to understand both these levels and to understand the distinction between them. The first thing you are absolutely right. And this is part of the dower thing you and I have been talking about. We are not being asked to do anything except to shut up and stay home. And you know what? In the first wave, you didn't need to tell people. We understood it was a new novel threat. We stayed home. We, we kept our heads down and they're, they want us to do it again. We know uh, they want mobility down. So instead of kind of being, hey, guys, you know, you you can do it. Uh, we're almost there. We're making progress every day. And we are making progress every day. Ontario is vaccinating 1% of the adult population every day. Every month, that's one third of the adult population that gets every closer. Mm-hmm. That's great news. But we never talk about it because the public health messaging from the government basically remains shut up, stay at home. Don't talk to anybody. Don't even think about going to play tennis and eat your gruel and and support local businesses using curbside pickup. Like, it's ridiculous. They're terrible at this. The other problem they have, though, and this is a meta problem, and it's been a meta problem since the beginning of this, is that we don't live in the world anymore where Canadians only get their news from Canadian sources. We haven't lived in that world for a while. And I, I think sometimes our government communications seem to assume that there's almost 40 million Canadians who are only capable of absorbing information that is produced within Canada. You and I and 38 and a half million of our buddies are looking at our own public health officials every day and they're telling us, you know, shut up, stay home, don't play golf, don't go to the park, don't you dare drink wine in the park, you you madman. (laughs) It's this dour, miserable, sour, pessimistic messaging all the time. And then we we pick up our remote control and we click up a couple of channels and we see uh, Boris Johnson in the UK with that wild mop of hair being, hey, the bars are open. Or we, we click up a couple channels more and it's Anthony Fauci in the United States, Dr. Fauci, talking about, hey, I think we're going to be able to take our masks off soon. We're looking again at, at Israel where the, the Tel Aviv beaches are packed and, and the nightclubs are going again. Again, current circumstances notwithstanding. So we've got these international comparisons that all of this good news is coming. And it's not just that 
our, our politicians and our public health officials are grim and they're dour, we know for an observable fact that they could be giving us good news if they chose to. Yeah. It's not just that the news they're giving us is bad. We all know full well they could be doing a better job of this. They could be spicing up their comments with some degree of cautious optimism. And at a certain point, if you don't, that's a conscious choice. And that choice reflects on the people who are making it. Leads me to the last thing I want to ask you, which is how does this end from a communication standpoint? Um, you know, restrictions are going to be lifted around the world. Presumably, um, cases continue to go down. They will be uh, lifted in Canada. How do the governments handle that? You know, will there be rejoicing? Will they say, okay, it's amazing. You guys should go hug and you should party and et cetera, et cetera. Or are they going to just drop restrictions at 5 p.m. on a Friday in a press release and be like, okay, by the way, everything's open? Yeah, and don't go nuts. Drive safe. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be the latter, but I also think what's going to happen, and if we're being honest here, I think this is already happening, is that people are going to start making their own decisions. My parents are now uh, vaccinated. They're not fully vaccinated yet, but they're well past 28 days of their first shot. They're largely isolated. My wife and I are now uh, partially vaccinated as well. She's a few weeks ahead of me. We are going to start seeing our parents soon. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're going to do it cautiously. We're going to do it smart. We're not going to do anything dumb. But I'm not going to wait for the government to say, okay, you can bubble with like a very tight family unit if you're all at least partially vaccinated. We're going to do it on our own. And I'm not necessarily advocating this as a good thing, but we, the Canadian people, have been left in the dark. We have been failed by our public health communicators. We have been vaccinating people at a fairly steady clip now for months, and we still don't have centralized guidance on what partial vaccination does and does not permit us to do. So we're making our own decisions as best we can. It's ridiculous that we're here, but it's going to happen. It's going to be a beautiful summer. I mean, God willing, <laughs> that's maybe a bit aspirational, but I'm hoping for a beautiful summer. I've saved all my vacation days because I had nowhere to go this year. People this summer are going to be loosening up and what's going to happen and it's tell me you haven't seen this story before. One day, the mayors, the uh, the MPs, the MLAs, the uh, all, all the officials top to bottom are going to look around and they're going to realize they lost the population and they're going to want to get back on side. They're going to adjust eventually their public health guidance to where the public already is. That is pathetic. It's stupid. It could well blow up in our face. But tell me it's not going to happen exactly that way. No, it probably will. I just wish, uh, you know, at the end of this, I just wish they trusted me a little more. They don't. And... I, I I wish they did too. And I, I've written whole col columns about this before, either about specific issues or in, in the narrow abstract. Canadian government honestly believes that they are here to save us from ourselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, th there's a lot of problems. You could get into that. You can talk about that from a philosophical issue, from a uh, political issue. But the real problem of the last 15 months is that the people who think they know better than us, how we should lead our lives have dropped the ball repeatedly and thoroughly within their own jurisdiction over this. I was joking with a friend, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized maybe I wasn't joking. The real winners of this are going to be the uh, the survivalists and the preppers because they're going to have the easiest marketing campaign ever when this is all over. They're going to go out to the Canadian people and they're going to tell you, you think the government had your back? No help was coming for you. 
And, you know, I'm not proposing we all go dig fallout shelters in the backyard, but look around at how not only did we make a lot of mistakes at the outset, we didn't learn from our mistakes. That is one of the meta narratives of this pandemic. Yep. Teresa Tam is as terrible at communicating now as she was at the beginning. And no one did anything about it. No one got her training. No one replaced her. No one got her a media relations aid. Ditto Dr. David Williams in Ontario, city of Toronto, where, where I live. We just had the city government spend an entire year pondering whether or not to do a pilot project to expand park access for for, for alcohol. And then eventually deciding, no, the year we've had hasn't been enough time to come up with a pilot project. So instead of changing the laws, we're just going to waive the laws. We're not going to enforce the laws. Show me one level of government in this country that has impressed you during this pandemic and that you'd actually have faith will have your back in the next one. I don't see one. I don't think I do either. Thank you, Matt, for this conversation. Sorry to leave you on a depressing note, but here we are. Matt Gurney with TVO and with the National Post. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca, find all of our episodes, including Matt's previous appearances, right there. You can talk to us anytime on Twitter, at TheBigStoryFPN. You can, as always, email us, TheBigStoryPodcast, that is all one word and all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com, and find us in any podcast player you prefer. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, doesn't matter. We're there. Hit follow, leave a rating, leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.